Now playing in Los Angeles, exquisite food and drink, world-class art everywhere, spectacular sports, dazzling Hollywood attractions. L.A. offers the full variety of food scene, from game-changing taco trucks to 35 Michelin stars. And did you know that Los Angeles has more museums and theaters than New York City? Get your fix in music, film, comedy, and world-class museums. Plus, get behind the scenes in movie magic with a world-famous studio tour. That's something that should be on everyone's bucket list. Start here with discoverla.com. This show is sponsored by Dunkin' Cold K Cups. Dunkin' Cold K Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. It's convenient and tasty. You brew over ice, straight out of the Keurig coffee maker. You just brew over ice and you sip them in seconds. You're going to love these Dunkin' Cold Cake Cups. Enjoy the bold, smooth Dunkin' taste you know and love. Find Dunkin' Cold Coffee in the roasted coffee aisle. There he is. What's up? How are you, man? Good. Wait, I think we're sideways. Right there we go. Yeah, you were sideways for a minute. It looked like you were in the International Space Station, and I liked it. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm in the International Space Station right now. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to Literally. Um, I'm very excited today to talk to Mark Cuban. I remember Mark Cuban when he was the crazy jumping up and down on the sidelines, new punk kid owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And now he uh, is the king of the shark tank. And um, we know him from those like headline making areas of his life. But the truth of it is this guy, his vision. I mean, this is a guy you could argue who who kind of invented streaming. I mean, when you really, really do the deep dive on his history and that's. Like saying, this is the guy who invented going to outer space. He's a wonderful dude. It's a great talk. Here we go. I do look like I'm on the space station, don't I, with this thing set up here in a hotel room. I know. Where are, where are you right now? You're not in the space station. Where are you? I'm in Sacramento. Why? Because we have a game tonight. Oh, the Mavs, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um. I was such a big basketball fan for so many, many. I had season seats, at, and I was so happy when you bought the team and you brought them back. I appreciate into, that. I mean. Yeah, we tried. Yeah, we'll see what we get going. We got a big game these next two nights. We play Zach tonight and then um, Steph Curry tomorrow. Oof. Um, yeah, so it's going to be brutal. Okay, so let's let's start there. What? So the, the, the modern NBA game, right? Uh-huh. It's so different. I watched um, classic. Uh, you know, classic sports. And I watched Larry Bird Magic Garden game, you know, in like 86 or something. Yep. It literally looks like a different, it's a totally different game. 100%. Do, do you prefer yeah. one over the other? Yeah. I mean, look, I miss the beasts in the paint battling out, beating the <laughs> shit out of each other. Right. But at the same time, there's just so much more skill now than there used to be. You know, 21 years ago when I bought the team when I was 12, you know, we could, <laughs> we, you could have guys on the court who couldn't shoot. Now that's not the case. You could have a guy that had a good motor, ran around a lot, um, and maybe could rebound, and that's all you needed to do, um, just have that one skill. But now you have to be able to put the ball in the basket. Otherwise, they just won't guard you, and it'll make, it'll make it harder on everybody else. 
So I kind of like the fact that everybody who's playing in the game has got to be skilled. That's probably the best answer I've heard. And I've talked to Steve Kerr about it. I've talked to <laughs> Magic about it. I've talked to Barkley about it. I've talked to, um, I mean, all kinds of people offline about it. That, you know what? You 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 might have brought me back into the fold. Come on back, one. Rob. Come on back. Uh, that's that's a that's pretty good uh, explanation. Um, but those guys all played back then too, right? So it was their era. Yeah. You know, you never want to diss on your own era. And you know, as a fan, as an owner, it's harder now because you can't make any mistakes with players because everybody's got to be able to play. It's just so different. I mean, it's always, you're always putting a, a guy who can, like you said, a guy who can shoot on the field. There'd be, there'd be you times, you know, going into every, the end of every quarter where it was the scrubs were out there every single game. And now if you, if you have scrubs, you know, it's, it's probably develop <laughs> your young guys that you're trying to develop, that you're just trying to get some time that maybe can't shoot. Yep. But I mean, you got 40, 40 guys or more shooting 40% from three. It's just crazy. It's insane. I remember when, um, cause I, like I said, I was a huge Laker fan. That if you pulled up on an uncontested three, Pat Riley would send you'd be done, done, done. I mean, done. that's the way we all grew up. You know, you you don't just shoot a three. You get the best shot. You get as close to the basket as you can. You know, if you get a ten foot jumper, that's fine. But all that's changed. You know, the three now. You know, not only are they shooting the three, like when we when they first brought in the three, it was like like when I was a kid, you practice with your toe just behind the line because yes. you don't want to shoot any deeper than you needed to. Yeah. Now, you know, Steph and Luca, they're shooting five, seven feet behind a three point line like it's nothing, nothing. Do you think that they always could have done that had that yeah. been in the zeitgeist or, or are these guys just modern freaks? No, I think they always could have. They just never worked at it. I remember like. 2012, give or take, talking to Dirk and Vince Carter, who played for the Mavs then, saying, look, we've got some data. When when you are shooting a foot or two behind the line, they're not guarding you, and you shoot better. But they, it was just so not natural to them. Um, and then guys started practicing it and practicing it, and the same guys who five years ago would not have shot that shot. Now, like literally, we have all the Mavs practice shooting threes from five and seven and eight and nine feet behind the, the three-point line. And it's like, it's just another jumper for him. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. It's so, and that comes with the analytics of that, the, the, the three point hit miss ratio yep. works out better regardless, yeah, right? Because if you, yeah, if you make um, 40% of your threes, that's one, um, 1. 1.2 um, points per possession. So to do that at the equal of twos, you have to shoot at least 60% to balance that there out. There it is. There it is. You know, and like if you shoot 33% from threes, that's equivalent of a shoot, you know, that's one per, per shot. Um, that's equivalent of shooting 50% from twos. Yep. And 50% has always been a great shooter, right? Being mm -hmm. able to shoot 50% from anywhere, you know, inside two points is, is perceived to be great. So you know, guys now know if they sh can shoot 36, 37%, they're going to be okay. And now there are teams that are shooting 38, 39, 40%. It's just changed so much. It's bizarre. It's it's true. And baseball's the same. I, when I had kids, I don't know. I know you have young kids too. I had to yeah. take a sabbatical from a lot of things because I just didn't have the time. And then I right. sort of re-entered it and was like, wait a minute. There's a shift in baseball. Wait, people yeah, legitimately crazy. open yeah. up an entire side of the field. What the hell? And nobody bunts. 
Yeah, and it's crazy because, like, I just saw something. I don't follow baseball near as much as I used to. But remember this thing they called the Mendoza line? Yes. So it was a, a guy named Mario Mendoza who yep. played for my hometown Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, of course. And he never hit over 200. And the Mendoza line was like, if you hit over 200, you were above the Mendoza line. <laughs> now you have teams hitting at the Mendoza line. Like, yes. The entire team is batting like 2.2, you know, batting 200. And the league is betting like point two three two, and it's like all home runs and and strikeouts, and it's crazy there too. Yeah, the, the, all all sport all sports have changed. Football is the only one that seems kind of kind of the same as when we grew up. And I didn't real really realize that you and I basically grew up in the same. I, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. You're from yep. Pittsburgh, so Pittsburgh. we probably had all the same heroes. You know, Lynn Swan and Terry Bradshaw. Yep. yep. You know, we always hated the Bengals. Ohio people. Never liked it. Well, they still don't like the Bengals. Nobody likes the Bengals. There's, there's nobody. still no, but no. But does anybody like the Bengals? Not from Pittsburgh. That's for damn sure. No, no. But I was always I had I had my uh, bre- breakaway jersey. Remember when those were a thing? Yeah, those are huge. Yeah, yeah. A breakaway jersey. God, did I love having my? Those are cool because uh, you you know they were airy and yes, you know, yeah. If someone tore it, right, you felt like you were running faster. It was yeah. Awesome. And and then um and then of course. Were you there for the Willie Stargell era? Yeah, yeah, when I was a kid, that's when he played. And so, yeah, so when I played, um, remember back watching Pops, he was lefty, I was righty, but he used, used to always twirl his bat, right? He'd sit yeah. in the thing windmill. and twirl his bat. So, yeah, did his windmill, and so that's what I would do. I'd do my windmill. Oh, they hit a lot better than I did. I am desperately searching for footage of him hitting the, the ball out of Dodger Stadium that's legendary. I, it is legendary. I remember that. I was told that he hit the 76 sign. I don't believe that. That can't be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was just incredible. He was so big. He was a big guy. You know, him and then Dave Parker were both huge. And that (sighs) kind of changed baseball for a long time as well. Yeah, I I love I love sports. Yeah, I I just I love talking sports. It's the it's the absolute best. Um, I was going to ask you, Okay, my my sons are. my sons are in, you know, tech and apps and startups and all of that stuff. Sure. Uh, my oldest uh, is, and he, he said, I said, what do you want me to ask Mark? Cause he's every, all my family are big fans of yours. And they're like, ask him, ask him about Dogecoin. Ah, I knew that was good. I knew you knew it was, was coming. You knew it was coming, right? I knew it was coming. Right. And it's a great question. And it's funny because I was just doing some more research this morning because Doge, Dogecoin went from being a joke. Even the originators, the people who created like in 2013 or whatever it was, Thought it was just a joke. It was just it was just a play on everything that was going on. Right. But they made some enhancements back then. And what's wild is that it went from being a joke to ju- to being a meme mm-hmm. to just being popular. People trying to hype the value. To, excuse me. Now people using it like like a digital currency. Well, you you accept it. You accept it yes. for Mavericks tickets, don't you? Yeah, and that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is that people spend money with it, and you know we were doing. You know, ten dollars a day, then a few hundred, and then a few thousand a week, and it, you know, it, it's kind of s- steadily grown, not by big leaps and bounds, but just steadily grown. And I was talking; it's a company called BitPay. They do the gateway that allows you to spend either Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Doja, and some other ones in order to buy things wherever they're taken. And um, I was talking to him, and he said his his Doja. Um, transactions are just exploding. He was going to do like 6,000 in the month of April, which is enormous. When you think that, you know, five months ago, this was just a total joke. And so, you know, I got into it because my 11 year old son got into it (laughs) and I wanted him to learn about cryptocurrencies and the stock market. 
So we set up an account on, on Robinhood and started using it to learn. And just then I you know, figured out that I could take it for, um, for the Mavs, for people to buy things. And people started buying things. You know, They didn't use Bitcoin. They barely used Ethereum to buy things, but they used Dogecoin all the time. And it's wild that it's really become something real. What? So it, it seems to me that uh, that that whatever um whether it's bitcoin or, or or ethereum or any of whatever the the brands are that's got to be the wave of the future it has oh, yeah. to be why wouldn't it be yeah. right yeah yeah you know you start digging in it's just little things like should we go to a digital currency what's the reason even if it's not an external let's just say it's a united states you know digital currency that the country puts out from the federal reserve you know we we spend 80 million dollars a year i think on pennies you know, yeah. we just to make the pennies, we spent like you're talking to the expert on that. My my oh, one yeah. of my great West Wing uh, episodes was that my character, Sam Seaborn, wanted to get rid of the penny. And it's the same thing. <laughs> he, Sam was right. You yeah. know, get rid of the penny. The nickel is like 80 mil, 85 million a quarter cost the country like 110 million per year. And so that's one end of it. Then there's a sanitary side now. Then there's just the, the physical dealing with it for retailers, which is expensive, and for banks, which is expensive. And so Dogecoin, baby, or, you know, a USDC, a United States digital coin. And I think it's inevitable that we will go there. And then, you know, you look at when, when you have, you know, a pandemic or, or a tragedy or something, you know, a downturn, a, a recession or, God forbid, a depression, you know, we had all these stimulus payments and if you didn't have direct deposit set up, then you had to wait for a check. And so the Treasury had to cut the check, you know, make sure that you were legit, cut the check. You had to get it. Then you had to deposit it. You had to wait for it to clear. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the people who needed the money the most got it the slowest. If everybody had a digital bank account um, with or without digital coins, the money would just go just like that right into your account from the Treasury whenever there was a stimulus and if we're able to use digital coins, the ability to spend it and the transact, the cost associated with it would drop significantly. And, and what's and what's the con? What's the negative that, that that people who are sort of against it would would say? People don't want to change their habits. That's you know, simple. It's just about change. Yeah, that's it. You know, who's you know, who wants to know what a wallet is, a digital wallet is or wants to deal with setting up um you know, a new type of account. Just look, look, if half the people if after the first um um, payment, this first stimulus payment from the government, the people who got checks didn't set up digital uh, direct deposit. That tells you there's just people that are just resistant. That's, and it's, it's not even a security hacking, no. you know, Oh no, because issue. it's easier to steal you your know, money. It's easier yeah, to steal <laughs> your cash or to break into your, you know, to look, take yeah. your information that with your credit card than it is to, to steal something from a digital wallet. Who's going to be the Betamax and who's going to be the VHS? Of I don't this think we discussion? know yet. I think it's way, way early. I mean, it's really like the early days of the internet. If you go back to the mid '90s when things were just getting started, you just saw all these applications, and you didn't know which one was going to be Amazon, which one was going to be eBay, which one was going to be PayPal, etc. You had mm-hmm. to wait to see who the winners are, and, and it's the same now. Well, how do you? I mean, you famously hedged your Yahoo, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so, how do you? 
had you not, you, you would, your life might've been very, very different. Very so, different, right? So, so yeah. how do you, how do you hedge this? I mean, you, you just don't I, get greedy. I mean, back then it was like, all right, uh, you know, this is more money than I could ever dream of. And, you know, rather than trying to get more, I was all intent just to keep what I had. And I kind of take the same approach now, whether it's with cryptocurrencies or stocks or whatever it may be, you know, just don't get greedy. It's, it's okay to take profits or it's okay to, you know, put a collar on where you protect yourself on the downside. You know, it's when you try to squeeze out every penny where you get too excited. Like if, if Dogecoin goes to a dollar, you know, then my life is made. Well, sometimes you got to take profits to protect yourself. And, and GameStop, right? Yeah. So that's, again, as far as I can tell, started with a bunch of folks going, I like that place, man. That's cool. We don't want to let that go down. And with having no sense whatsoever of actually ever thinking about making a profit, it was more of a statement, a nostalgia play or no? Not really. No, no. So it's really interesting, Rob. Like there's a, a, a part of Reddit, a subreddit called Wall Street Bets. Yes. And when... Wall Street Bets started talking about GameStop. It wasn't huge like it became. It was some really geeky people that were just really into analyzing the stock and thinking it was undervalued, even though traditional Wall Street thought because it's got all retail stores and everything's going digital and, and retail is, is really hurt because of the pandemic. Um, the, the guys on the people on Wall Street Bets thought, OK, this is undervalued at two dollars and whatever. And wrote up some really detailed and um, in-depth analysis of why GameStop is a good buy. Why am I? And, then why? Where did I get it in my head? And I read about it that it was that that, that there was no real analytic. There was no behind there, there, it yeah. at all because you saw people on CNBC and elsewhere say, "Well, if it's all retail investors, they must be wrong." Mm. And that's where all the 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 noise and the loudness was coming from people who are on a subreddit. How can a subreddit be smarter than all the experts that go on CNBC? How can real was, people be smart? Real people have no rights smart, to right? do anything. They're the minnows. Yeah. We need to listen. They're the minnows. Yeah. And the minnows won. And, you know, here we are months later and it's $160 or whatever. And I'm pissed because when it was 50, I'm thinking, okay, maybe it'll drop down into the twenties because then I'll buy it. Never made it down there. And the reason I was interested, I went back, you know, when something gets is really takes off in the zeitgeist and people are talking about, I'm like, okay, let me get to the bottom of it. Let me read up, whether it's Dogecoin, whatever. And um, so when um, Wall Street Bets and GameStar started just exploding, I went through and I read some of the quarterly, quarterly earning conference calls transcripts where the, the CEO and the CFO talked to the Wall Street analysts. And have to tell the truth because it's, you know, SEC um, reviewed. And they start talking about their business. And the thing that was cool um, for the December 20th quarter was they did over a billion dollars in online sales. And they had grown like 300%. And I'm like, okay, so here's a company at that time at $50 that had a $6 billion market cap for the stock plus $2 billion of debt, so $8 billion. And they did a billion in digital sales, so eight times sales. That's less than 30, 40, 50 different software companies on that are public trade for right now. So versus some of their peers and other software companies, they were cheap. 
And mm. so I got greedy, which always backfires. I got greedy <laughs> and decided to wait for the price and tried to time it out and, um, and made a mistake. So now if you look at it, let's say at the price of 50, now it's three times that. So now, you know, it's trading at 24 with, they've had another quarter, so maybe 12 times sales, give or take. I don't know for sure. Um, and that's n- not even outrageous and, and compared to some of the peers. And a lot of this has to do that with the fact that interest rates are so low and there's no other place for people to put money. So they put it in stocks, in cryptocurrencies and baseball cards or whatever. But the net net of it is that regular people can do smart things. And we saw it in the mid-90s with the internet where I remember starting streaming and people just laughed at me and said, why the hell would I ever stream anything when I can turn on a radio or TV? You mm-hmm. dumbass, you're going to lose your ass with this. You know, and, but I could see what was coming. And it's the same now. Why would anybody you know, trust you know, retail investors to know more? Well, they've got the, the, power, of, you know, the power of the crowd, the wisdom of the crowd, um, where people working together can move faster than big you know, centralized banks. Um, and I think you know, the game is changing. And cryptocurrency is trading even more. I mean, we talk about Dogecoin, but there's this thing called decentralized finance where you can make a whole lot more money investing um, by loaning your cryptocurrencies than and making four, five, 10, 20% interest, depending on how much risk you're willing to take, versus making 0.02% interest in the savings account. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Hold that thought. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. funny we, we started talking about how sports is changing now we're talking about how finance is changing and and uh investment is changing it's it's got to be exciting to be yeah. where where you're where where you're at right now i mean how much of your day is spent i mean probably all of it but in like all of the different pies that you have your finger in which pie gets the most fingering how about that as a <laughs> That's not, that is an analogy. Yeah. It's a very provocative analogy, yeah, very but provo- it kind of yeah, works. It. Yeah, you know, hey, American pie. Yeah. Um, but 
You know, it's interesting because all of them are fundamentally built on technology, mm. whether it's basketball. You know, you talk, we talked about shifts in baseball and, and batting uh, uh, percentages. You know, it's because pitchers are now using technology to completely analyze their pitching motion, their mechanics. And they're, they're tweaking it to a level now where hitters can't keep up. And, and that same concept is, okay, when you deal with new technologies, cryptocurrency, online sales, whatever it may be, how does the technology impact um, what's happening in the business world? And, you know, decentralized finance is one thing, crypto, um, artificial intelligence. I mean, basically, my public company investment theme now is what I won't invest in a company unless I think it's one of the leaders in artificial intelligence. Because, you know, if you look at the biggest market cap companies in the world, they're the ones that are best at artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is really, really hard and really, really expensive. But if you look at Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Netscape, Apple, etc., they're great at AI. And AI is touching everything but not everything that's being touched is good at AI. What um, it's funny, my my son, who I keep referencing, my oldest son, uh, graduated law school and then decided he didn't really want to practice law. And one of the things he thought about because he was going to be an entertainment lawyer and in entertainment law, there's a lot of transactional law. And one of the things he yep. keeps saying is that that AI is going to wipe a lot of that out because um, you know, 80, you know, the AI will move it to the goal line and then you'll yep. have a lawyer look at it for an hour and you're done. Um, yep. so he saw this disruption coming in that. Are there other, what areas, if you, in the next five years, what, what do you see changing that were, we would be, we would find remarkable? I mean, like if I, I look back when I was a kid, it was more than five years, obviously, but like. Let's go to the Dayton Mall. Well, the Dayton Mall is now <laughs> used for storage. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like crazy. I know exactly what you're saying. Like what's what what's going to happen? Every generation has significant technology changes, right? And one builds upon the other. You know, something like TikTok. You know, the thing about TikTok as an example is not so much that the dances are unique or anything else, it's the way they use artificial intelligence. You know, traditionally in social media, when you go to Instagram, you see a feed, for the most part, of people you follow and things you like. When you go to Facebook, for the most part, you know, the news feed will be different, but you see the people you follow and your friends. Um, with TikTok, they look at what you actually watch. They'll suggest something, and they don't really care who you follow. Um, you know, they care what you like, but they even care more about how often you watch something. So if you watch a basketball highlight, and let's just say there's a Luka dunk or Luca, you know, shot, game-winning shot, and you watch that um, three, four, five, seven times, and then the next thing you watch is a basketball highlight, and you watch that three, four times. They realize that, you know, you like basketball highlights of this one particular type, and regardless of who you follow, that's how they'll feed you what you want to watch, and that makes it addictive, particularly in short little bursts. Now, if we're going to have to learn how to apply that to watching games because, you know, my 11-year-old son, my 14-year-old daughter, my 17-year-old daughter, they don't watch complete anything, you know, let alone a complete sporting event. They'll just wait for the highlights, and they'll, they know Luca and Steph Curry and Ja Morant, you know, you know, Zion Williamson, the youngest players, too, not because they've watched them play in a game, you know, or a full game, but because they've seen them on TikTok and, to a lesser extent, Instagram. 
And so that's one thing that's going to change. I think how we consume games via video is going to be driven by social media where you might get the first five possessions of a Mavs Laker game. Then you might get, you know, an interview with Luca or LeBron, and then it'll go back to a possession in the game because there were dunks and you like dunks. I think that's one thing. I think, you know, I, I got this one business that just got pitched to me um, a couple of days ago and they use AI as a chat bot for personal discussions, you know, for oh. people who are lonely. And the results were, I was like, what the? <laughs> really? People were spending hours talking to these chatbots because they just wanted somebody who will talk to them for an extended period of time. And, you know, there's this thing called GPT-3, which is an open AI type um, open source program that is really getting good at evaluating and responding to all different types of questions. And that's only going to advance. We're still way early in this. Processors get faster and, and, you know, the AI gets better. You're going to see bots that people become close to and connect to. You're going to see virtual humans. I just invested in a company, virtualhumans.org, and that's all they do. They create virtual humans, and I anticipate that we'll be combining those with, you know, this natural language processing and chatbotting, and you'll have virtual people that you talk to. It's, it, it'll seem, it seems really, really crazy right now, um, but for a 14-year-old kid, I think it's, that type of progression is going to seem natural. That's beyond crazy sounding, but, but also makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. You know, the one thing that goes forward, things keep on getting faster, things get more efficient, um, and AI gets smarter. And I'm not talking about AI taking over the world. You know, there, there's ways to, to prevent that. And we'll be smart enough, I hope, to prevent that. But, you know, it's going to become more personal. And that's going to be weird in so many ways. Well, you know, it's we used to have to go to college to get knowledge, right? Like the only way you got it was you somebody gave it to you or you went to the library and you had to find the book and put the book. And then you had to memorize it. So I, I kind of wonder, why does anybody go to college at all if that's the baseline? In all it's seriousness, you, you just go, if somebody sits in a business meeting and says, you know, uh, what, uh, which was the 31st state? You just fucking Google it. So yeah. I just am not really sure. I'm not ki- actually, I'm actually not kidding. What is the benefit of traditional education in the way it's been for two, 300 years? Yeah, having an 11, 14, and 17-year-old, they ask me that same question when there's, you know, classes they don't like. Um, <laughs> and my answer always is you have to learn how to learn. And yeah. that's a process. And, you know, when you're in, you know, middle school and then high school, you know, your peers are local and you kind of have personal relationships with everybody. And they personalize helping you learn how to learn. And, and that's a good thing. Then you get to college and you get to expand your horizons and get tested more by hopefully smarter people challenging you because, you know, learning in a more competitive environment um, and learning as, you know, across your potentially four years as things change. I think that's good. I, I think there's a benefit there. The problem, though, is the cost. And because it's so prohibitively expensive and we're looking, you know, I don't see that changing. And even the idea of free college will probably bastardize it and make it even more expensive. Um, but I do think that we need, if the cost stays where it is, 
there'll be private scenarios where that will make more sense. Because mm-hmm. there's no reason why Mark Cuban and Rob Lowe can't start their own college just focused on acting in business and then go to local businesses and say, will you accredit these graduates for and hire them? Because, you know, the whole thing that makes or breaks a college is the whole accreditation system. And that's meaningless in my mind. And so if we were able to go to, you know, local or regional companies or national companies and say, hey, you know, here's our curriculum. You're, you're more than free to participate in it. We're charging, you know, kids just enough to cover our costs. If you want to create scholarships that, you know, give you the first right to hire these people, great. But I think, you know, college as we know it should change. And I think you're going to see more and more private schools do that. And, and you know, there, there's, there are companies that are doing more private-based education. Um, and really what surprised me more than anything is why people will go to the most expensive colleges rather than going to colleges that, you know, they don't have to borrow as much money. I mean, listen, I wrote the check for Stanford and Duke. You're talking to a guy who knows. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's um, looking at both of those schools. And, and they're, fa- they're I mean, look, and they're fantastic. And that is why, you know, there's nothing like that experience. There's nothing like the people, the peers that you're going to have relationships with for the rest of your life. And yeah. and those are those are the, the reasons. But the, the notion of, of fact based learning, when all of the facts of the universe yeah, are, are in your pocket. Available. Yeah, there's no good reason to have to memorize everything. I mean, look, you want to memorize... Like if you're going to be in business, you got to know what internal rate of return is. You got to memorize that that is to a certain extent because right. you got to at least try to put it into practice. You know, if you're going to do law, you got to memorize some laws. But I, I agree with your point wholeheartedly. There there are better ways, and we have and they're out there, and some people are doing. But we just have to make them more ubiquitous. And and as as a pioneer in that and a thinker in that way, as your kids are starting to navigate it. Um, have 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 you been surprised by anything, or is there any? What's your, what yeah, is your, that's a great question. What's your takeaway from your own personal experience with your kids going through that sort of factory? So I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I've always been big on reading, and mm-hmm. I've always tried to motivate my kids. My wife and I have tried to motivate our kids, you know, by bribing them. You know, <laughs> you get more you get more screen time if you read. You get some shoes. You know, you want those Jordans? You got to read four books. Literally, what we did with my daughter. Um, a couple months ago. And it helped some, but there was one day um, my dad asked me, my, my dad, my um, son asked me about Shark Tank. He goes, dad, why don't you like to do royalty deals? Um, I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you know about royalty? Do you know what a royalty is? And he's like, yeah, it's when you get a percentage of sales um, from a company. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, well, I don't like royalties as much because I think it hurts gross margins. Do you know what gross margins are? He goes, yeah, that's what's left over after you sell something minus your cost of goods. And I'm like, Jake, dang, wow. how did you learn this? Wow. And he's like, I learned it on YouTube. You know, I saw some YouTube videos. I saw some Shark Tank. Like, none of my kids will actually watch the show Friday nights on ABC. Of course 8 not. 8 p.m. Eastern. But yes. they'll, watch, they'll watch the YouTube and the highlights are on Hulu. Yeah, this is my, – my, my, my kids don't watch anything I'm on. Yeah, it's the, nothing, of course not. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so anyways, I'm like, how did you learn this stuff? And he's like, YouTube videos. He'd, he'd watch some of the some Shark Tank clips, not the whole episodes, and there'd be something he'd understand. He'd, he'd you know search for it on YouTube. There'd be something that explained it, and it made me realize that not just his you know age, but you know Gen Z in general. My fourteen, my my seventeen year old, and even kids that we're seeing coming to the NBA at nineteen, twenty years old, they don't learn by reading the way we used to. 
like you said, we used to have to go to a library, find a book, get a magazine, whatever to learn something. I remember sitting in bookstores, you know, and reading books I couldn't afford just to try to learn some things about mm-hmm. computers. Yep. And um, they get everything via video. And so how kids learn today is night and day different than how we grew up. And the hard part for us as adults, and particularly in the industries I'm in, where you've got young kids as programmers or developers or you know, designers or athletes, it's it's a different beast trying to connect to them and know what the, what it takes to motivate them and educate them. Well, and that in my business, it's because my business is totally predicated now on that demographic, and you can see people, so you can see the struggle. It's it's everywhere. Yep. I mean, it, it, people, uh, and, and and that code is so hard to crack. Because yep. it's a, such a moving target because technology is moving so quickly. The minute you figure out, oh, this is what they like, they're on to some, everybody's on to something else, a new way of learning, a new way of consuming. But the good news is that's opportunity, right? That's why, yes, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. always, you know, I always, whenever the shit hits the fan, I always look at that as an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I tell my wife all the time. Like, you know, when the stock market was cratering because of the pandemic, I'm like, Babe, this is the World Series of investing time. This is when the pros go to work, you know, when they're blood in the streets and when there's yep. significant change like cryptocurrency, you know, NFTs and all this smart contracts on blockchain. They're game changers. But, you know, when you start to see the opportunities that they create, either you dig in and you learn them or yep. you're going to get blown by. You get blown by NFTs. So tell me, t- talk to me about NFTs. I know you're doing, a, are you doing a thing with Snoop and Ashton? Where, yeah, where we you, did already. Yeah, we, yeah. Oh, it's, it's already, oh, okay. T- yeah, so NFTs, walk me through, okay, what should be my NFT? Yeah. Tell me, <laughs> you, Mark you Cuban, tell me how to, do, how to do my own <laughs> NFT, please. Yeah, so an NFT is just a digital collectible. Um, it's no different than a physical collectible, only it's digital. You know, think about everything that's on your phone that you value. So it's not unusual to value something that's digital. Right. You know, and and so if you put aside all the technology, it's just a digital collectible. And in order to create a digital collectible that someone else might want to collect, you have to take something you own, you know, anything. It could be a picture of it. It could be a digital file. It could be a video. It could be a GIF. And you have to take it through a process called minting. Minting gives it a unique identity that it then stores on something called a blockchain. And that storage of that identity on the blockchain is what makes it unique and makes it sellable as a non-fungible token, NFT. And then from there, just like there used to be baseball card stores that we went to, just like you could buy baseball cards on eBay, there are marketplaces, um, OpenSea, Rarible, Mintable.app, um, Top shots that sell NFTs and you just go to those marketplaces. So if Rob Lowe wanted to create something, let's just say it's a picture of you and um, Aaron Sorkin that no one else has ever seen before from the first day of shooting of West Wing. Mm -hmm. And you wanted to turn that into an NFT because West Wing fans and Rob Lowe fans and Aaron Sorkin fans would like to to own that unique collectible. Then you would just do just what I just said. You, You take that digital copy of that picture and you'd mint it, and then you'd host it on one of the marketplaces, and then you'd have a collector. You'd let people know on your social media, and the collectors who are your fans and West Wing fans would then come in and buy it and have it on as a collectible. And then 
Actually, I created a little program with one of the folks, guys who works with me, Jesse, and it's called Lazy.com, the lazy way to show off your NFTs. And so, <laughs> because there's no way, I, I bought a bunch, you know, I'll go through these different sites and I'll look for um, art, um, digital art that I think is really unique and, and, and really cool. And I won't spend a lot of money, you know, I might spend up to a couple hundred dollars to buy it. Um, but then I, I, I had a bunch of these and there was no way to show them off. So I created lazy.com. So if you wanted to see all the digital collectible stuff I have, if you go to lazy.com slash mcuban, you can see all my collectibles and I can also sell them on there. So that's how Rob could do it. Well, that's what I was, was going to ask you is if one didn't know about lazy.com or it didn't uh-huh. exist, where... So you invest in it. Where do you show it to people? Is it on your phone? I mean, it's how do you? No, it's just like on a website. I mean, it's just like how do you get someone to to look at um, a baseball card? But a baseball card analogy, you have the baseball card. Well, you do and you don't, right? You you have if it's a collectible, you probably have it in a plastic um, container or a plastic um, holder yeah. so that it doesn't get all messed up, right? And right. You probably if it's worth anything, you have it in a safe. That's so you point. can't see it, you can't show it, and no one can touch it <laughs> because the minute they do, it goes down in value. And if you want to sell it, you have to physically take that, get it graded, find a place to yep. sell it. Then you have to ship it. They have you have to hope they get it okay. Yep. Then they have you have to hope they agree with the grading and and that they don't give you a hard time on eBay or wherever. Whereas an NFT, if you were to take a picture of that same base baseball player in that same pose, Willie Stargell with his bat on his left shoulder, right? Yep. Or in the middle of his twirl, um, all you'd have to do is put it on the marketplace, sell it, collect your money and be done with it. Well, it's, it's funny. My my son has also started a side hustle where he's brokering Pokemon cards. I mean, there you go. all of this, it's like, what is it? What? What is it? We should start like puka shell selling you and I. It's like we just decided it's valuable. I wish I would have kept mine from like eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. And we'll be right back after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Hey, I can just tell you this, Rob. 
Supply and demand is undefeated. Yes. Where, where there is demand, if you can provide the supply, you will make money if you sell it at a profit. That's just the way the world works. And, you know, when you get the Internet and now with NFTs, it just becomes easier and easier and easier to connect people to buy and sell. And particularly with digital goods. I mean, that's one of the reasons why cryptocurrencies are blowing up the way they are, because it really takes a lot of friction out of a lot of business transactions, particularly peer-to-peer business transactions. Um, when Napster first came out back in, in the day, uh-huh. there was a you, – you, my, my memory of this is a little fuzzy, so you're going to have to help me through it. But there was a, a Supreme Court case. It wasn't about Napster, but you were right. you helped fund one of the defendants. Am I right about this? Yeah, and I forget the name of. So they were a competitor to Napster. Yes, and um, I, I'm spacing the name yep. of it, but I helped fund them because you just had all of the big record labels just dumping on all of the peer-to-peer downloaders. That's right. And they weren't doing it, I didn't think, out of a good place. It wasn't like they were trying to protect or grow a business or protect artists or creators. They were just suing for the sake of suing because they were big and everybody else was little. And I didn't think that was right. So we lost, but I tried to help. Well, no, and the reason I thought of it was it was it's supply and demand. There was a de- demand for music to be consumed in that way. Yep. And it's like what we, we you know, it's funny, this conversation keeps coming back to in, in various different ways to the same themes over and over again, which is like adapt or get crushed. Yeah, you've got to give, you know, when we started AudioNet, which was the first streamer, um, and people would just laugh at us. I'll just turn on my TV, I'll turn on my radio, whatever. We would just tell people, you don't understand, everything's going digital, bits are bits. They don't care if they're audio, video, or whatever. And if we're able to give people what they want, how they want it, where they want it, when they want it, They'll, they'll consume those things through us and they'll go through the hassles, which back then were a lot. And, oh, yeah. you know, I had no doubt in my mind that, you know, what was difficult back then would become easy. And it was the same thing with high definition. When we started HDNet in 2001, everybody was like, no one's going to want high definition because those TVs are 20000 grand, $20,000 yep. a pop, you know, and it doesn't matter if they look cool on the wall. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Technology marches forward. The price performance, uh, the price is going to uh, get lower and the performance is going to get better. And the same thing has happened with HDTVs and HD. Now everything's HD. The same thing's happened with streaming. You know, now we're getting away from linear TV. You don't even talk about analog anymore. Analog, everything is gone. Gone. And, And so, you know, things happen sometimes under our noses and we don't realize, even though it may take 10 or 20 years, that these huge shifts have taken place and that's not ever going to change. I remember um, in 2001, we were making the West Wing. It was the very beginning of, of high def and everything was still being shot in it for a traditional um, TV framed yep. format. Four by and, three. Yep. Yeah. And so the boom mics would have to be in a straight. It was, a, it was such an ordeal. And, and even the, there weren't even high def monitors then. So they would mask it with masking tape. To give you that format and you do a take and go, ah, somebody, we saw the boom in high def. Oh, forget it. Who cares? And, and I remember there was on, um, but we knew eventually it would be in high def. So we shot it that way Um, on CBS. Famously, they were the last adapter to high def 
And their thing was our viewers will think there's something wrong with their television. Oh, I remember going in there and having those conversations at Fox and CBS. When we started shooting um, Shark Tank, when I started shooting Shark Tank in 2010, they didn't shoot in high def. And if you if you look at some of the replays from that first 2009, 2000, my first season as a guest, 2010, they're blurry as hell <laughs> because they didn't do HD. And you would have thought by 2010, 2011, it's a no-brainer, and, and it just wasn't. And now, if you see something in four by three, obviously it looks ancient. It's like being in black and white. Yeah, it looks it looks like you're watching, a, you know, Steamboat Willie. <laughs> it's like it's, it's yep. the original Walt Disney. How do yep. you are are you enjoying Shark Tank? You must. It's such a great. Yeah. It's such a great show. It's so addicting, and people like you said, you, you're people learn a ton about about finance and about business for just and that's watching exactly it. Why I do it? Yeah, I mean. It's one of the top three shows on television watched by families together. And, you know, back in normal days, I can't tell you how many times when people would just stop me or even now email me saying, you know, my son, you know, or my daughter started this business or that business. And now it's like we've been on so long going into season 13. Jeez. um, Yeah, it's crazy that it's like, oh, I grew up watching Shark Tank and I started a business because I've learned so much. And you know, and there's thousands of schools that will use um, video from the show to to teach entrepreneurship. And that's exactly why I do it, because shooting the show is easy. You know, letting people watch it. The, I mean, the, obviously, the producers and editors do a great job picking the deal and making us look good. Um, but dealing with the companies after the fact can be a pain in the ass. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. That's the do you, do you uh, that's the part. And maybe it, it exists and I don't know about it. So forgive me in advance if it does. But that's. The version I also want to see. It's like, yeah. like, okay, what's the fallout? Yeah, we did it one season, but it was so contrived. I hated doing it and it just didn't work mm. because the reality is, you know, out of the hundred plus businesses I've invested in in Shark Tank, they followed pretty much a normal curve where about 20% were really good and made me a lot of money. 20%, I just lost it all. And the 60% in the middle, just keep on grinding all. You make a little, you lose a little. And that's real world. That's real life across any distribution for startups. And, you know, there's just some entrepreneurs. And so people know, like, when we say yes to a deal, we get to do due diligence after the fact. And because a lot of times they get so nervous. Um, You know, on TV, they may be 10, 14 minutes long. But in real life, when they're pitching us, they could go anywhere from 20 minutes for really dumb ones to two hours for really intense ones where, where a bunch of us are interested. And, you know, sometimes it gets so intense, they'll just they'll lie their asses off. You know, so they'll say, my widget only costs a dollar to make. And what they won't say is it only costs a dollar if they make a billion of them and they've made seven. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, or yes, I have yes. no debt. I have no debt on the balance sheet whatsoever. And then you do your due diligence and they have hundred thousand dollars on their credit cards. They're like, well, it doesn't count if it's on my credit card. That's not debt. And just stuff like that. And, you know, it's just, and the, the list of, of things that you uncover across all these companies is incredible. But, um, you know, it, it's, but the people are real. And to me, that's the most exciting part, helping somebody really grow their business or grow with their business and turning it into something special and see them have their dreams come true. Those are the things I wish we showed more of after the fact. And we do updates, you know, but I wish we went more in depth because when that, when you see that happen, you know, and you help somebody really, really change their lives and change their employees' lives and change their customers' lives, 
then, you know, that's, that's when you just sit there and you smile and, and you realize you're part of something special. Do you think it's harder to start a business today than, than, than it has been historically? Or do you feel like we, we, people go through periods, cyclical periods where you, everybody complains about regulation and this and that. And it, at the end of the day, it all kind of works itself out. I think it's easier to start a personal services business right now, um, particularly if you if it's technologically oriented, because all you need is a laptop, a phone and an Internet connection. And you can pretend you're big and sell anything to anyone around the world. Um, face to face in real life type personal services businesses are a little bit more difficult, but I think they're getting a little easier because effectively they've become arbitrages on people's time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're willing to do a good job and sell your time, then I think my time is worth more. I'll pay you to walk my dog. You know, that type of thing. I think that's easier. I think there are certain industries that have just become regulatory night- nightmares where there's licensing rules. I don't know if it's still the case, but it used to be in the state of Louisiana. Um, you had to have 2,000 hours as helping shampoo hair at a salon before you are allowed to be an officially licensed shampoo person, you know? So where, where there's circumstances like that, it's just crazy and more difficult. Yeah. That's see, that's, that's the stuff that drives me insane. 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 I hate it. It's like, I hate it. It's like, it's the old saw about, you know, kids having to have a permit to set up a lemonade stand. Yeah. I mean, and I've done stuff like that too, where, you know, literally, I've talked to different municipalities and asked them, you know, I'm, I'm doing this special shark tank and it's going to have a lemonade stand or sell something publicly. You're not going to come and bust us, are you, for not having these permits? <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, this this has been so great. Uh, uh, are you when do you play the Lakers? When are you coming through L.A.? We just played the Lakers twice in Dallas and beat them twice. Oh, baby. God damn it. <laughs> so we're, not, we're done with them for this season unless we play them in oh, the playoffs. I know. So who do you think is the most um, effusive owner, you or Steve Ballmer? Um, me, of course. Steve, Steve Dude, It's hard to compete. He is a ham. <laughs> he is some yeah. ham on the sidelines, isn't he? he? He gets intense, then that's for sure. That's why I like Steve. I, I think, you know, what's interesting to all that is when I first came into the league, I can't tell you how many people told me to shut the hell up and get up in the owner's box. I remember, like, no, I remember it. I, people were like, I, they were like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> yes. It was like a super fan had taken control, which it is great. Exactly it. And everybody thought I was just crazy and, and couldn't believe it. I'd get fined. One time when I first bought the team, I just said, you know what? I wanted people, the guys who work for us and women for that matter, I wanted them to feel comfortable around me. So you know how there's guys um, that the equipment people that sit right next to the bench, they actually sit on the floor And then they run out there, pick, you know, jerseys up and everything. So I sat down there with them just like so I can get to know them and know their job better. I got fined $150,000 for conduct unbecoming an owner for doing that. (laughs) You know, and now you got, you know, now we're trying to You don't see Herb Simon down there. No, and I love Herb. Herb is the best. Herb is the best. He's my my neighbor up here in Montecito. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Herb is awesome uh, because Herb just loves everybody. I know. Um, He was one of my biggest supporters. But in any event, now we're talking about me versus Balmer, who's crazier. So that shows you how far it's come. I know. I know. Like technology, it keeps marching on. It's (laughs) supply and demand. It's undefeated. People want crazy, enthusiastic owners. Amen. And that's, Amen. and that's what they want. 
this has been this is fantastic. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it, Rob. The questions were awesome. Oh, good. And we'll do we'll do more. We'll do more. Um, all right, I'm going to write you, and we'll get a lunch, and we'll catch up uh, more. Thanks, and good luck tonight. I, I, I have no love for uh, the Sacramento, so you can crush it. I hope so too. <laughs> I appreciate it, Rob. It all right, great. brother. Thanks, Thanks man. Thanks, brother. Wow, that was so fun. I feel so dumb. I feel like I've done nothing in my life. I feel like, well, by the way, it's the truth. I mean, I'm a guy who wears makeup for a living. People tell me what to say and I stand in front of a camera. Um, that guy is other level. I mean, you know, it's, it's always interesting to talk to people who you know are smart going in. And then when you talk to them, you're like, oh, yeah, this person actually is really, really smart. Um, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Um I, I, I'm going to go listen to it myself and take notes and try to act on it and see if I can't be an entrepreneur in my own right. It is time for the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe, 323 570 so have at it. Here's the beep. Hi, Rob. My name's Allie. I'm from um, a little town in Ontario called Dashwood, uh, up in Canada here. And my question for you is, is what was the best advice that you got when you became a parent for the first time? My fiance and I are expecting our first child in May. And I'm just looking from so I'm just looking for some advice from uh, one of my favorite podcasters. So hit me with your best advice for new parents. Thank you for asking. I'm I'm honored to be asked about a subject that I care a ton about. Um, the first advice I ever remember being given, and and I think it's significant because it was given to me at a time where being a parent was the farthest thing from my mind, and yet I remembered it. So I feel like that's significant. And that was um, my lawyer at the time, very successful entertainment lawyer, top of his field, busy, 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 you know, Mr. Happening guy, L.A. guy, doing it, doing it, career man. I went to his office and it was filled with pictures of his kids and um, Little League games, just family stuff. And I go, oh, your kid plays Little League. And he goes, yeah, I never miss a game. Ever. I was like, really? He said, yep. He said, you know, Rob, one day you'll be a father. And what you realize is the time that you put in will be the time that you get back. And I never forgot it. Happily, it came naturally to me. Um, I, I organically naturally wanted to be as, as present as I could be, and wh- whether it's reading a story at bedtime or, you know, school drop off or talking to them about their friends or, I loved coaching my, my kids teams. Um, it's, it's, there's no substitute for putting in the time. It just isn't. And my heart always goes out to, to, um, people who have to work multiple jobs or, yeah, you know, um, can't be at home as much as they would like. Um, and I have tremendous empathy for that. Um, I was, I was very lucky that I was able to design my life around my kids, which I did. That's why I started doing television. I didn't want to go on location. Um, I wanted to be home every night and, and I was, 
Um, and then the other thing I will say, which is a real cliche, but it really is true, is enjoy every second of it because it will be over before you can imagine it. And as a new parent, when you hear that, you think that has to be the biggest bunch of bullshit you've ever heard in your life because you haven't slept in a year <laughs> and all of that. But I'm telling you right now, you're going to look back on it and be like, oh, my gosh, I forgot all about it. So savor it, enjoy it, and good luck. Um, we will see you next week. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin Tory Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.